sponsor Redmond Dispensary. Redmond Dispensary is located down in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. If you don't know about Redmond Dispensary, then you are for sure missing out because they got whatever you need. They got flour, dabs, papers, syrup. They got it all. And um, they also have some amazing deals. So go hit them up. Let them know Russ from Okie Podcast sent you. They also help out with existing patients needing to renew their cards and new patients needing to get a card. So for real, go hit them up. Go like their Redmond Dispensary Facebook page as well. Give them a five-star rating. Go follow their page, like their page. And once again, let them know Russ from Okie Podcast sent you. I'm super, super, super excited to tell you about my sponsor, Southwest Trading Company. Southwest Trading Company is a native-owned business located at 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you've never been to Southwest Trading Company, you need to go check them out. Right now, if you can, or after this podcast, or during the podcast, but either way, Go check that store out. They have a lot of great items from different artists from all around, like jewelry, blankets, art, clothing, cedar boxes, indigenous home decor, car accessories, totes, and so much more. You could spend hours in this store. I'm not kidding. I went there the first time, and I think I spent like maybe a couple hours maybe just looking around at everything they have. I mean, it's so unique. If you haven't yet, Southwest Trading Company also has a Facebook page. So if you have not yet, go like it and follow their page to keep up with all new items and events they have going on at the store. Once again, I'm super excited that we get to build together. The location for Southwest Trading Company is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Go check it out, everybody. Thank you. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Oki Podcast. On this episode, I have another amazing guest. He is a hip-hop artist, and he goes by the name of Frank Thompson. What's up? What's up? What's up? What up? What's going on? Oh, nothing, man. Just living. Just living. Down the road? 
Oh, yeah, right down the street. <laughs> that was crazy, man. Whenever you sent me your address, he was like, oh, I'm over here. And I seen it, and I was like, nah, that ain't that ain't it. You know what I'm saying? And then I looked at it, and I was like, yeah, that's right around the street, man. I could hit you. I could. I was telling my homegirl, I was like, I could hit his back door with a football from my front yard right there. For real. It was like, <laughs> I know when you put LOL, you got to be kidding. And I was like, like, what? Like, And then you said, dude, I'm like, right. I'm like right behind you. So I had to look it up on my maps and I was like, damn, sure enough. Yeah. Just right there. Yeah. I was going to do a live coming over here. Like, oh, I'm about to go to the Oakie <laughs> podcast. You know what I'm saying? And, oh, I'm here. You know what I'm saying? Walking down the street. I'm for real. I walked here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would too. With the gas prices. <laughs> I know. That's right. <laughs> that's cool though. How long have you been over there? Man, I've lived there since. Almost, it'll be uh, just over a year, man. In January was a year. Wow. I actually, so like, I'm, I'm sure you know, but uh, people who don't know, I'm an I'm a, a alcoholic and drug addict in recovery, right? So I lived in a sober living house here in Broken Arrow, and I moved in with an old roommate, and we lived on the other side of, other side of town. And we were doing good, man, but then like things with when addicts start living together, you know, it's like... When one of them veers off, they both kind of just start going back into smoking weed. And, you know, that's what he was doing. He, he got a medical card. And he was like, oh, this is for my headaches. And, yeah, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. I said, but if it becomes a problem, I have, I'm have i going to go, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, at that time, I had just gotten visitation back with my boys. And he starts, you know, he started smoking more. And then he'd have people come over. And i come home. And there'd be, like, girls there. And, you know, they got a bottle and stuff. And I'm just, like, secluded in my room. And then I kind of felt like a, like a prisoner in my own house. Right, because like, I know that if I go back off on the road, I'm not gonna stop till I end up in prison or you know back in jail. Because that's the only way I seem to get sober is when I go back to jail, right? And then I sit there and then I dry out, and then that's what happened this last time. So I was like, man, I gotta move, and I go to a, a AA meeting up the street, and there was a dude there, and he was trying to stay sober, and his thing was he he drank at home, and that's his house back there. Mm. So he was like, man. I was like, I need a roommate. I need to get out of the house that I'm in. And he was like, I need a roommate. I need someone to help me stay sober when I'm at home. So I was like, he was like, you want to move in with me? And I was like, yeah, man. He's like, I got a room. And it was supposed to be for a couple of months. And we ended up really kicking it off, you know. And now he's one of my best friends. Um, and over the last year, like, we was living there together. And then towards, what, September of last year, him and his, his, uh, his girlfriend started taking things a little more serious. And he was like, Hey, I'm gonna move in with her. Do you want to take this house over? And I don't have the greatest like rental history at all, right? I have evictions and everything. So if I try to get a house in my name, I would get shut down. But it just so happens like this guy was like, "You want to take this house, this house over?" And I was just like, "Yeah, let me get it." Damn. You know. So now it's just, I guess it's just me and my boys over there. So I've been there since December or January of last year. Mm -hmm. That's how long I've been over there. Whoa. Sorry, I got my phone going table <laughs> oh yeah well, i was gonna say i think that's me because everybody seems to want to talk to me when i start this <laughs> how long have you been doing this now you've been doing this for a while about a year over a little over a year now yeah i started like january 20 i think like 20th but then Riker came over like on the i'll just say the 27th yeah do i need to be right up on this mic or is it cool if i Cause I have to feel like I don't want to feel like I have to sit up the whole time like this. Oh, you could bring it back. Yeah. All right. We're going to do that. Yeah. Oh, wow. That thing's got some weight to it. Yeah. There we go. That counterweight. 
Yeah, but yeah, he came over and then I think it was like I don't know somewhere in there. Then I released it. I think on the twenty seventh or something. And, and then, yeah, like a year came fast too. Yeah, because like constantly doing this and then constantly doing other things. Because year a year would take forever when you're not doing shit. Yeah, like you're yeah. just going to work all the time at the job you hate, and then like you're not doing something that you like or love. Yeah. And so this kind of just took over and then I got like part-time jobs or whatever, but they're just part-time. Like I wasn't there like all day. I was there yeah. for like four hours a day or something. Then I come back and do this and just network. Yeah. And like that year, last year went by really fast. Like from January, I couldn't believe like November was coming up and yeah. I was like, fuck, like it's almost 2022. Yeah. Like, this whole year went fast because, like, November, like, the middle of November is when I was, like, doing sports casting for our football team. Then I was, like, working with our language program. And I was doing this. And then and then once our season was in was over and then our classes were coming to an end, I was just doing this. Yeah. And then... But then Castro hit me up, and we started doing the rap battle league, and then, and I was doing that and this. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Castro, man. Yeah, shout out to him. (laughs) That man's wild. He's he's good people. Hard worker too. Yeah. And and then things started picking up again. But I mean, it's like here and there. Yeah. Like it's not like I think it kind of got overwhelming because I just didn't know how to deal with all of it. Yeah. I just said yes to everything. And then I was like hardly getting any sleep and I was like tired, but you know, I was exciting. I was excited to do whatever I needed to do, you know, and get out there and meet people and stuff and bring people over or whatever, whatever it was, you know, you know, a lot of people, man. I yeah. see, I see your podcast. I see the, the posts and stuff on Instagram. It's like you always get, and I was just asking you had a, you got West studies, studio yeah. sun coming yeah. out. I know Go on. It, it'll, cool. it'll be out before it'll, it'll be out when, before this comes out. I yeah. Um, and I'm excited to hear that one because, like, I've I've watched West Duty. You know, like I I was talking to my mom the other day, and and I, I was looking at your podcast, and I said, man, I said, uh, I said I'm going to this podcast. Uh, this was the other day, and I was like, I'm going to this podcast, and I said, I think he had uh, West Duty's son on there. And my mom was like, no. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my mom was like, no, no. <laughs> I was like, no, I I think it is. I'm about to ask him because, like, my mom's. I mean, we grew up watching, you know. Graham Greene, West Studi, uh-huh. you know, all them old Indian movies. Dances with Wolves. I heard you guys talk on the, at the live podcast. You're talking about Dances with Wolves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny with Colin because um, he was like, well, I guess you know my dad, right? And I was like, who's your dad? And then he was, oh, he goes, this is exciting now. He's like, you don't know my dad. <laughs> but I was just, I knew, I knew his dad because somebody said, Said like, oh yeah, you know, well you know his dad, right? So I kind of put two and two together, but you know, like with natives, sometimes like you have the same last name, but you're not even related. Yeah, like yeah. Harjo, right? Yeah, like I know, could, like, I know a hundred. There's Harjo. a Harjo, but he's not related to Sterling Harjo. So yeah. I didn't like, I don't like just say, oh well, you know, I guess West Duty's your dad. I just didn't like wanna, yeah, you know, because he might be his own family or something. Yeah, you know, and that's just how things work in Indian country. Like that's yeah. how um. Like the Dene people are, uh, they have like 
a lot of Nez and Big A's, but Nez, Big A, Yazi. My mom, my mom's maiden name's Yazi. Really? That's what I. Yazi, yeah, that's another one too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Navajo and Cherokee. My dad, my dad, so my dad's from here. My mom, my dad met at uh, Baycon, and my dad's from like Salina, uh, Mm -hmm. Locust Grove, in that area. You know, that's where all my Cherokee family's from. But my mama's side, all my Navajo family were from Wonder Rock out in Arizona. Wonder Rock, okay. Yeah. So that Navajo, yeah, Navajo Nation out there. That's that's where I grew up. I grew up kind of back and forth from here to there, here to there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was raised. I had a, a Shiche, my, my my grandfather. He uh, he's the one who taught me a little bit of my language. Man, I don't know it like I used to, just because mm-hmm. I don't use it out here. You know. Yeah. Uh, but he taught me my language. He he taught me how to count to ten when I was like when I was a baby, baby. You know. Uh, and I grew up on the traditions out there, peyote all that stuff out there so when people ask me what i am i'm, just, I'm navajo mm-hmm. you know because i don't know i don't know the cherokee ways i don't know my language over on this side and uh you know to me it's like in my heart i, I i'm from the navajo nation mm-hmm. you know so when people ask me i'm like yeah i mean we could get into the technicalities like i'm cherokee and navajo mm-hmm. but my ways are navajo so yeah. i'm just i'm navajo so i got it on my neck you know i got Dene. It's either on this side or this side, one of the sides. Yeah, it crosses on that side. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got the neck. Oh, right here on okay. My neck. Yeah. So, so yeah. People ask me what are, what are you? I'm like I'm Navajo. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean I do have Cherokee in me. And it's crazy. He was talking about the Harjos, Sterling Harjo. He he's the one who does reservation dogs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I know all the other Harjos, but I met all them knuckleheads off in prison. Really? You know, I know a bunch of Harjos, bro. A bunch of them. I was on the yard with them. I was in county with them. Harjos, man. They're, they're good people. The knuckleheads, though. The ones that I've met, anyways. Wow. Which uh, prison was that? Oh, man. Let's see. I went to, uh, I was at the Keys up in uh, Woodward at first. Oh, really? Yeah, up in the Panhandle. Mm. And then I went to uh, Granite, other side of the state from where we are. Hmm. And then uh, I discharged out of Oklahoma City in a halfway house out there. Yeah, that was back in, what, 2000? I discharged 2016? Yeah. And I tried, dude, actually, I tried living in the city for a while, man. Trying not to come back to what I know. Mm-hmm. But Oklahoma City's rough. It's almost just as bad as it is out here. Really? Yeah. I was trying, I mean, I was trying to stay right, you know what I'm saying? Like, I ended up getting a job. Uh, I was cleaning. Um, it used to be the Chesapeake Arena. Mm. It's not, I don't, I don't know. I think yeah, it's something I don't know else now. <laughs> yeah, but we would, I worked for uh, a company, King, something King. And uh, what our job was, we got to, we had to go in there after the Thunder games and clean that whole fucking arena, bro. Now, I can, can I cut? I can cut. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we had to clean that whole fucking arena, man. They would, we go in there. And the cool thing was, we got to go in during fourth quarter, like the start of fourth quarter. So we always got to catch the end of the games mm-hmm. for free. So we'd all just kind of hang out up in the top and watch the games. Got to watch all the home games. Um, but then as soon as everybody's clearing out. Hey, you, you got that section right there, you know? And they give you trash bags, fucking mop and a broom, and this shit was nasty. Oh, man. Cleaning up after that fucking, that was nasty. But it was like the first job I had out of prison, so I'm like, oh, at least I'm not in prison, you know? Yeah. And uh, But I would get off, i get off of work at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I discharged in December, so it was cold as shit. And I would, dis- and I would get out about 2 or 3 in the morning, um, and then I'd have to walk. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Oklahoma City, but I was downtown and I lived by the Remington Casino, which is northeast, you know, and it would take me 
two hours to walk <laughs> from downtown to the, like to my side of town back to the sober living house I was living in. Fuck. Dude, I finally got fucking fed up with it, and I was like, man. So I ended up moving back here, and I found a sober living uh, sober living house here in Broken Arrow, and uh, I was here. I've lived here now. Let's see, that was yeah, 2017. I've been back here. Actually, I've been back in Oklahoma since 2008. I haven't been back to my homeland. Mm-hmm. I haven't been back to the reservation since to like 2008. So this is home, man. This has been home for a while. Yeah. You know? This is kind of where all my peoples are now. My kids, my baby mama's here. My, my I got my boys with me. Uh, my old lady lives here. You know, we all just, so I'm just like, man, I ain't seen no reason to leave. Mm-hmm. I want to leave. I've been taking these trips to Florida. And every time I go to Florida, bro, I'm like, oh, damn, I don't want to come back. Yeah. With this most recent one, I was down there whenever that ice storm hit here. And uh, we're pulling out as the storm is coming in. So it was like 30 degrees whenever we pulled out. And by the time I hit Birmingham, Alabama, it was 13 degrees here. It was 86 degrees where I was at. But it was fucking hot. You know what I'm saying? And like, I was just, and I'm like, is this seriously? It's like, this was a. Just a few weeks ago at the show I had down there on the 25th of uh, last month, mm-hmm. I was down there. But I'm talking to my homegirl, and I was like, fuck, man. If I ain't love my kids, I just fucking stay here. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's the only reason I'm coming back home is because I got my babies. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, like, it's crazy you would. So you would walk to the Thunder Arena? Yeah. From? Yeah. And it would take two hours there, two hours back? Yeah. Well, so. What time did you have to get there? Transit. I, they had the uh, oh, okay. the bus. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I would catch a ride on the bus there. Oh, right? but okay. But then transit stops at a certain time, so I'd have to walk oh, back fuck. early in the fucking morning, man. And every time and every time I'd walk, I would walk. And, you know, I mean, the only thing laid at, the only people laid out at night usually are, like, people who are up to no good mm. or the police. All right? So I was there every time I'd walk and I'd see a cop come by me and I, at first I was like fuck man they're gonna stop me I just got out of prison you know I don't want to deal with police mm-hmm. but after doing it for like a week I was like fuck I hope one of them pulls up on me I'm gonna ask him for a ride <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow yeah put me in the back but take me that way yeah. bro you yeah. know what I'm saying I wonder if they do that they, they do that right they would I'm sure they would yeah you know but there's been times that I've just been stopped so like whenever I lived here uh, when I moved back here, I was working at the IHOP down the street, the one on Hillside. Oh, okay. And I was walking, and I had to be at work first thing in the morning, so I had to be there like five. So I'd leave my house. Uh, I'd leave my house about three, and I'd start walking, or about four, and I'd start walking. While these cops pulled up on me, bam, 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 because they just see me walking. I had my, uh, I had my hat on, right? I had my my Indians hat, my Cleveland Indians hat, and I had a feather. I had my bag. They had my my work clothes, and I had my feather clipped to my bag, and I was just walking. Four o'clock in the morning. And I got to that Walgreens, and next thing I know, man, I had my headphones in, and there was a cop, and I guess he was yelling at me. I had my headphones in, so I didn't hear him. So I make it across Lynn Lane, and now I'm in front of the come and go, and then he fucking pulls up on me real fast. Wow. And he was like, he was like, don't you hear me fucking yelling at you? And I take my headphones out, and I'm like, what? He's like, you got headphones in? I was like, yeah, I got headphones in. And he was like, what are you doing? I'm going to work, you know? And uh, he was like, stay right there and put the bag down. So I put my bag down, man. I back up, and he starts. He finally calmed down. He thought I was ignoring him, mm-hmm. but he comes up on me, and he was like, "I didn't know you had headphones in." You know, he was like, "Well, yeah, we've been yelling at you since back there." And I was like, "Bro, my bad. Yeah, I'm just going to work." He's like, "Where you work at?" And I was like, "I work at IHOP." Mm-hmm. He was like, "What are you doing coming out of that neighborhood back there?" Because I lived in the neighborhood across from a. Uh... Hey. Hell yeah, that's the dog. That's always the dog I hear on the podcast. 
<laughs> uh, I know I heard when Castro was talking about the dog too. <laughs> I knew she would do it. I didn't know when though. <laughs> I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> like I said, I listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, but I was uh, I was like, anyways, he was yelling at me, and he was like, I didn't know. He's like, what are you doing coming out of that neighborhood? And I lived in the neighborhood across from Rib Crib behind that fire department. Oh, okay. Nice yeah. neighborhood. There's a sober living house up in there. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I was like, man, I live there. And he was like, well, someone called me. They said they seen you walking through yards. And I was like, no, I wasn't walking through no yards. I live there. There's a sober living house there. So, I mean, next thing I know, he comes up on me. And it was just one patrol car at that point. But we uh, during, doing, during the process of our conversation, like three or four more fucking cops then showed up. So now it's just me up against the street, right, with my hands up, five cops all lined up in front of me, right, and they're going through my bag, you know, and they were cool once they realized it was just my uniform in there, you know, and, and I, but the, I, had, I had an eagle feather, and I just got out of prison, and I would not leave it, you know what I'm saying, like, it went with me everywhere, so I had it clipped to my bag. And when he took my bag and he starts trying to fucking ruffle through my shit, and I was like, y'all, the only thing I ask is just fucking watch the feather, you know what I'm saying, watch the feather. You know, I, I don't want you to break it or nothing. I'd hate for this to fucking turn into one of those situations, man. And that one cop was cool about it. There's always that other dude who's a dick. Yeah. He was like, well, we got to go through this, you know. But that cop was like, no, I got you, man. And he pulled through all my shit. And I was like, it's just fucking work clothes, dog. I'm going to fucking work. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but yeah, man, it was, I run into those problems a lot. You're I used to fucking walking. I got a car now, man. I ain't mm-hmm. fucking walking nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Take me to work, you know. You guys already done made me late. No, we can't do that. Oh, like all right, well, fuck. <laughs> now I gotta explain to my boss. Like, look, I just got profiled on the way here. My boss gonna be like, no, you're fucking late. That's all. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But you know, fuck IHOP. <laughs> uh, man, yeah. Fuck, that's. <clears throat> I wonder if it was just like if it was really people lying, yeah. or if they just started doing that on their own yeah i don't know man you know i mean fucking because i know people lie they like to lie a lot about yeah i don't know i don't know if you're familiar with the long island audit i watch those on youtube but it's this guy that goes into like like i guess like courthouses Uh and he's recording right because it's a public building it's paid for by the people yeah. And then he goes in there he goes in there and records like he does it at post offices too but he goes in there and he records and he like just he just gives a layout of the building and then he records like the posters and then he records his interactions with public the public areas like he needs like a FOIA request it's like a a freedom of information act mm-hmm. so that's it's like a freedom of information paper where you fill it out and you get people's payrolls because it's public knowledge. So you get everybody's payroll, like cops, everybody in the building, everybody that works in that courthouse or whatever. And then I'm waiting on her to squeak that toy. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but anyways, yeah. And then people like freak out, dude. They're like, you can't record me. You know, oh, you yeah, can't, you can't record okay. me because it's like, um, it's an invasion of my privacy. He was like, you don't have privacy in a public area. Yeah. He's I like, think, you're recording us. Yeah, I think, I think I've think i seen, uh, he goes into like courthouses and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, I've seen one of those where he walked into and this courthouse. They lie. Like, and, they're like, he's yeah. recording people's info. Yeah. He's like, 
causing a disturbance. Yeah, he's I've being seen. loud. He's and he's like, I got it on the camera. That's why I record. Like, yeah, yeah. I seen. I think I seen one of them. And uh, I think I was I was just scrolling and I found it. There was like, cop gets outsmarted by yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. One of those. I was like, okay, well, watch this. But yeah, he's like trying to walk into this courthouse and everybody's freaking out on him and they call the police and the police show up. Mm-hmm. He, There's he, like there one. There was like twelve cops there. They all surrounded him. Yeah. He's like, this is crazy, just for a camera. He's like, this is crazy. He's like, you're just wasting your money coming here for nothing. Yeah. He's like, these are people's tax dollars you're wasting. He's like, look how much money's here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, and then there's some where he's like, where he's like, walk of shame when he, because some cops don't know, but then when a sergeant, some sergeants get there, they know, like, the actual, like, constitution, like, you can do that. Like, uh-huh. you have every right to do that, but there's cops that are like, nope, nope, you're going to jail. Like, we're going to arrest you. And he was like, that's wrongful. Like, you can't do that because yeah. it's a public area. Like, I can, and he, he's pressed charges against people. But, yeah, like, when the sar- some sergeants get there, they go, yeah, he can do this. Let's get out of here. So as those cops are leaving, there's, like, a few episodes where he's, like, following the cops. And he's like, walk of shame. And he's like, <laughs> and he's, telling, he's telling their badge number and their freaking yeah. names. And he's like, he's like, did you get? Did you learn something today? Like he's just like, <laughs> he's like follow him saying that, and then he's just like, I hope you learned something. I yeah. really do. And then they don't say anything, and they just leave. And Damn. it's like, yeah, I've seen. I think I've seen one episode of those, or one one little clip of it. It's addicting, but yeah. you see how people lie. Yep, like just to get the cops there, they lie their asses off. Dude, you know, man, growing up, I was a I was a little shit, bro. I'm not going to lie, man. Me and my buddies, we used to run around the fucking neighborhood we lived in. Uh I lived in uh on the uh, over in Catoosa, like mm-hmm. the east side of town of Tulsa. And uh one one neighborhood we lived in was Rolling Hills. And uh me and my buddies, we just we just fucking unsupervised teenagers, you know, 12, 13, 14, getting high, fucking smoking weed, getting drunk, causing shit, vandalizing stuff, breaking stuff, you know. We were fucking assholes, bro. We were assholes. But some of the dealings that we've had with cops where it's like they know they can't take us to jail. Like, I knew they couldn't take me to jail. At the end of the day, you got to call my mom, you know. I was mm-hmm. a minor. But I've had cops fucking threaten to take me and my boys out back and beat the shit out of us. Yeah, wow. me and my older brother was just talking about that the other day. We was kind of. We worked together, so we was on the roof. Uh, I'm a roofer. We was on the roof, and we just kind of reminiscing, talking shit. And I was like, bro, I said, you remember that one day that we had a friend of ours pull this flagpole down, just being a dumbass. <laughs> there wasn't a flag on it, so it wasn't like we were being disrespectful to the American flag, but that's what this dude wanted to make it sound like. And my mm-hmm. buddy was just high, right? He was fucked up. And he tried to, he was like a stripper pole, you know, and ran up to this flagpole and grabbed it and thought he could spin around, only the motherfucker was made out of aluminum. And he was like, dude, he was like a fucking, he was like a buck 70, you know, he wasn't, we were 14, you know, so he wasn't like a a fucking little kid. And he grabbed it. And as soon as he grabbed it, that whole fucking thing snapped and it broke down in the front yard and we're all fucking just tripping. So we just run, you know, we run. And I tell him, and my buddy from where that flagpole was, it was a straight shot to his front door. And every single one of us, how stupid we were, every single one of us ran straight through his fucking front door. So the people, the people with the flagpole are just watching us run into the house. <laughs> they fucking call the cops. They point at the house, and all the police show up. And uh, they, they fucking, I, I remember they knocked on the door, and there was no, no parents were there. It was just me and my friends. We knocked on the, the cops knocked on the door. And I, I opened the door and I see a cop and I fucking closed the door on his face, bro. 
And I had another friend of mine in the back, and I walked out there, and we called him BS. Uh, and I walked up and said, hey, BS, your dad's here, bro. <laughs> he walked up to the front door, fucking opens it, right? And police just come in the house at that point, right? They just fucking come in the house, and we're all in the fucking garage. And they walk through the garage, they walk through the kitchen, and we're all in there, and they're fucking yelling at everybody, right? And they're like, where's your parents at? Where's your parents at? I don't know shit, right? They open the fucking back door. The police come in through the back garage. Damn. Yeah, there was like seven or eight of them. And that cop was like, we can take you all out back right now. Beat the fuck out of you. He's like, what are you going to do? Who's going to say what? Who are they going to believe? You know, and I'm just like, and y'all, all right, whatever. I'm going to shut up then. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking 14, 13, 14. Got grown ass cops threatening to beat my ass and shit. I was what like. What the fuck? Not saying that it wasn't fucking. I mean, it probably wasn't deserved, bro. We were fucking, mm-hmm. we were little fucking hoodlums. And now, now I have a 14-year-old. Oh, yeah? I look back, man. I called my mama whenever my son, I found out my son, me and my son, we got into this little, and he starts, first time he's talked back to me, like, like, no, dad. You know, like, he was going to fight me. I was like, motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Like, I will put you out, you know? Yeah. And uh, anyways, like, I remember him, and we everything was cool. We calmed down, and. Uh, I called my mama and I was just like, Mom, I want to apologize you know what I'm saying, for all the shit I did to you whenever I was a teenager. Because, I mean, dude, I started, my dad left whenever I was, uh, we were like real young. I was like eight or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he said he kept saying he was going to come back and shit like that, you know. And, and the only time my mom would call him was when I got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think subconsciously I wanted to talk to my dad. And I knew that if I got in trouble, my mom would call him. There was one time that I got in, I beat the hell out of this kid, and my dad ended up coming up from Texas. So I think subconsciously, like it was like, okay, well, I'm going to raise hell. Mm. But then eventually I realized that my dad wasn't coming back. And by that time, uh, I had already started drinking. I started drinking to uh, intentionally get drunk by the time I was 12 years old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and then I got my first pistol charge when I was 12 years old. Yeah, I got kicked out of school for that. I took a gun to a football game. Uh, not on no, like, shoot up the fucking school type shit, yeah. you know. There was me and a couple of homies who had a thing going with some dudes from East Central, right? And it was it was one of those under the, under the bleachers rumble that was supposed to take place, mm-hmm. right? I'm 12 years old. I'm maybe fucking 90 pounds, you know. I can't fight nobody. Fucking take this gun, you know. That's what they would do because they're, you know, what I'm saying I'm running with teenagers and shit, and I'm thinking I know everything. So I take a gun to a football game, right? Thinking it's gonna be cool and shit. I passed it off to a friend of mine who ended up dropping it in this, uh, it was called the Twist Center. It was where concession stands were in Katusa. Mm-hmm. He dropped it, <laughs> fucking dicking around, jumping up and down. He had this gun in his inside pocket and he dropped it. And before I could bend down to pick it up, somebody said, gun. And the whole fucking place broke out, right? Everybody's fucking running all different ways. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck it, follow the crowd, you know? And I ran. And I ended up leaving. I walked out. Three of the, the, the dudes that I was with got picked up at the game. I make it all the way back to my house, right? And I'm thinking, I'm in the clear and shit. I'm laying down on the couch. And then the police in Katusa, they pull up, you know, like three or four of them. And then they knock on the door. I step out. And uh, they were like, step outside. And I step outside and they fucking arrested me on the front porch. You know, my mom was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, they're like, come to the police station. You will explain it all. 
So take me all the way down to the police station. And I sit down and I see all three of my buddies. All of them are in this fucking cage in the back. All of them are fucking crying. We told them it was your gun. And I was just like, fuck. Dude, it was crazy. So like, I was 12. I was in seventh grade when that shit happened. Whoa. I started, I started getting into stupid <clears throat> shit early. Um, thank God, man. Like I had actually... I had to go through this first offenders program, you know, the first time you get in real trouble because taking possession of a firearm on, uh, on school property was like a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had this uh, guidance counselor who was like a juvenile guidance counselor. I went in front of him. I told him what happened. And he actually gave a fuck about kids, you know, which is the only reason why I got that charge beat because he was like, they can't charge you with possession of a firearm on school property if they arrested you at home with no gun. Right, I'm 12. I don't know this shit. Yeah. All I know is they said it was mine, and so that's what I'm going off of, you know, because it was mine, and they're saying it's mine. So they they tried to charge me with that, and then he kind of stepped in and was like, "Yo, you can't. You guys arrested this kid at home. He was nowhere on school property with a gun, you know. So you can't charge him. So they dropped the charges, and I I still got kicked out of school for it. I was back in school for fucking. Two weeks, <laughs> I had a knife in my bag, and that one they caught me with because they searched, they did a random locker search on me whenever I came back to school, mm-hmm. found a knife, and then they kicked me out and charged me with possession of a deadly weapon on school property. That one hit, you know what I'm saying? And then I got charged for fucking selling pills. and So I started doing all that crazy knucklehead shit, bro, whenever I was like fucking 12, 13 years old. Stayed doing that shit, man. Uh, up until a couple years. Well, I tried to get sober and shit here and there, but... It wasn't until January of 2020 that I actually got sober. You know, I fucking quit doing drugs, quit drinking. Took a honest shot at raising my boys, you know, which is probably probably what saved my life so far, man. My sobriety, my life. That's why I can, like, go to go to bars and shit. Like, you seen the other night mm-hmm. whenever we had the show. I have to get in a certain headspace for it. Like, if someone's like, hey, we want to book you. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm down. You know, mm-hmm. give me a date. And then I mentally prepare. Right, I I just don't show up to these. They have a bunch of open mics and things, and mm-hmm. you know I just don't show up to those. And oh, I want to perform. It's like I got to be in a certain headspace. I have to mentally prepare for that shit because alcohol is gonna be around, you know. And although it's not like a, it the the craving to drink isn't a big thing to me no more. I still don't underestimate it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like it takes one person, one feeling, one second, and then I have a drink in my hand. And when I drink, I get angry. When I drink, I, I don't, there's no fucking stop. I drink and it ruined my, it, dude, it ruined all of my 20s. You know what I'm saying? I did a whole lot of time in jail and over drinking, over drugs. And then somewhere down the road, it there was no more drinking. It was just the drugs. You know what I'm saying? It was, uh, I, I got hooked on dope. I started shooting dope. I started becoming an IV user. And that's what really fucking grabbed me. And, and, through, and that shit was after prison. You know what I'm saying? Like I was doing dope before I went to prison. Uh, but I got out, did the Oklahoma City thing I was just telling you about, mm-hmm. stayed sober for like 15 months after prison. And I was like, man, this is, you know, I got this, you know? And then I moved into my own apartment. I met a girl. She liked to drink. I moved right across the street from a liquor store, uh, over in the hood. And I was like, you know what, man, I haven't had a drink in like over a year. I can handle a drink. So I went and had a drink. I went and got a bottle and, uh. Fuck. I think the end of that first week, I had a hit and run. Uh, Because, I mean, it's like I picked up right where I left off. 
I'm a blackout drinker. So I start drinking. There's no stop. And then the end of that first week, when I thought I could have one drink, I had a hit and run. And then by the end of that first month, I was doing dope again. And then I met another girl. And she was like, have you ever tried shooting it? And I always had this, like, nah, I'm not that kind of a junkie. Until I was, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when they fucking blasted off, man, that fucked me up. Because then I ended up losing my kids a second time. I lost them when I went to prison. Uh, the tribe stepped in and took them. And I got out of prison. I worked like hell to get them back. And I had just gotten my visitations back. And then I relapsed. And then next thing you know, they find out that I'm drinking and doing drugs again. I'm selling drugs. And I got, you know, guns and this and that and that. So they were like, nope, took my kids a second time. And I was like, fuck it, they're already gone, man. And so I just continued to dive deeper into that hole, you know. And it wasn't until I got arrested again and I ended up going to fucking jail. Sat in Creek County for a little bit. Met, this is the craziest story, man. I met a yoga teacher. She came into Creek County Jail and she she brought yoga into the into the jail. She would They would pull like four or five guys from each pod. They're like, you guys want to do a yoga class? I mean, they didn't, like, pull, like, max pod and shit, but it was just general population, mm-hmm. right? People who were in there. I was in there on old fines, so they were like, you can come in here if you want. And I, at first, I didn't want to go, but I was about to fight my celly, so I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here, man. So I was like, yeah, I'll go. So I go to this yoga class, and I met this lady. Her name's Chris, man. Uh, I still talk to her today. Um, she's very involved in my life, man. She helped save my life. She, we did this yoga class. And she just started talking to me, man, not like a fucking inmate, not like a junkie, you know. She asked me, she asked me the simple question. She was like, where where are you going to go from here, you know? And I was like, fucking rehab, I guess, you know. Uh, the thought never crossed my mind. I just thought that's what, that's what she would want to hear. So I was like, rehab, I guess. And she was like, you don't sound, she's like, you don't sound too confident in that. I was like, well, I'm, I don't know. I don't know, you know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, then we started talking about my kids. And I got to the point where I was about to start crying. And uh, she looked at me and she was like, and she said some gangster ass shit, bro. She was honest with me. She was like, you know, the way you feel right now, your kids probably feel that all the time because you're not around. And then phew, I'm balling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm balling. And uh, it was honest. And it wasn't like she said it out of, she said it out of truth like honesty she was being honest with me and uh but then she told me right after this she was like you're not a piece of shit you're not what you've told yourself you're not what all these people have told you you can change you know she's like and if you want to go to rehab she's like do you have a ride to rehab i was like i don't have shit you know what i'm saying so she actually ended up setting up tried to set up a ride for me to where when i got out of jail i went straight to rehab um and I mean that's that's what the fuck I did, bro. I got out of jail. I stayed one night out, and then I went straight into the uh, the Howe Foundation here in Tulsa. And fucked, dude. Let me tell you, that program sucks. You ever heard of it? Mm-mm. Uh, they no. have a over here at like um, what is that? Ninety first in Aspen. They have a Howe thrift store. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. So the Howe Foundation yeah. is uh that's part of the Howe Foundation, and it's. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And it's a rehab. But that motherfucker is almost like a boot camp. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're there, you're there. They fucking shave your head. Yeah, like, uh, dude, like you're in prison shit. You know, like, I go in there, and they're like, okay, we're going to go back here. And they're going to shave your head. 
You know, everybody looks the same. They give you the clothes. Everybody dresses the same. And they give you a job, right? And what? And it's not no fucking easy job, man. It's either you're moving people's shit, you have a move crew, you have a trash haul, and, like, you're pulling up to people's houses and you're pulling out old couches and shit and throwing them in big-ass fucking two-ton trucks and then taking it to the dump uh, out on the north side and fucking throw and they, they don't have the hydraulic lift to the bed. Like, no, you got to get the fuck in there, grab all this stuff, and throw it the fuck out. You know, it was rough work, bro. And you work seven days a week. You get, yeah, you get your first day off after 30 days, right? But they feed real good. The fucking food was awesome. It was the best part about it. Mm-hmm. But they work the fuck out of you. You wake up at 5, you go out, and they had what they call a yard. And it was just a bunch of wood, right? Big old fucking... Uh, pieces of wood cut down from trees they had a tree crew and you get an axe you get out there and you get to fucking chopping wood all day you know if you, they don't have a job for you to go out in the world to do you sit on the yard and you fucking grab a 15 pound splitting mall and you just swing this motherfucker bro from fucking eight o'clock in the morning to five right you get a lunch break at, at uh at noon and you get two 10 minute breaks it's like a regular but the rest of the time you're fucking swinging right and I went in there, <laughs> dude. Holy shit! I went in there coming off of a, uh, coming off of fucking dope, you know. And uh, I had only been off of dope for like I think thirty days because I did it in jail. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't big at all, right? And I had this fucking axe, bro. And they got me out there splitting fucking wood. I'm telling you, man, I was so fucking sore, and it was crazy because whenever I was there when COVID started. Right, I was in the rehab, and uh, I got there in February of 2020, and we didn't know how serious it was because we're only watching the news, right? We don't get to, we didn't get to come out into the world like that. We we got to leave, and they would tell us where to go, what job we had to do, and then they would give us another job, and we'd leave one place, we'd go to it, but we always had to check in. There was no bullshitting around. You didn't get to stop and do nothing. So the only bit of news we get from the outside world was. Uh, was on the TV and then we realized March Madness got canceled and it was like oh fuck there's something to this COVID thing right and the next thing you know everything's shutting down everybody's shutting down but us <laughs> or they kept sending us out in fucking droves get in the truck get out there and do your shit <laughs> I was like yo people out here dying from a virus and you're still gonna send us out here to fucking work and they were like how bad you wanna stay sober I was like, what the fuck? In places like that, dude, really, it's for people, it's an alternative for people who's looking at prison time, mm-hmm. you know, or like like jail time. So a lot of people who are there, they're court-ordered to be there. And uh, so that's why they run it the way they do. And But there were volunteers like me who were stupid enough to stick it out, you know. And uh, But, you know, at that point, it, for me, it's what I needed. It was like, okay, Frank, how far are you willing to go this time to stay sober? Because right? yeah. I keep saying I want to get my life straight, but I've put no action behind it. And I'm there, and that was the only thought I had in my head. There was a lot of times and a lot of people who were like, bro, you should just quit. You can fucking leave. We can't leave. If I was you, I would fucking leave. And yada, 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 yada. And I let some of that get to the best of me because I think, like, it's a six-month program. Three months in, I got into an argument uh, with one of the dudes. who called me a bitch, and I was like, fuck you. I'm not working for you no more, bro. I'm leaving. You know, and they're like, oh, you can't leave? And I was like, yeah, I can. You know, we're going to call your probation officer. I don't have one. I'm a fucking idiot who decided to be here. I'm deciding not to fucking be here no more, right? So I fucking leave rehab. And I leave 
in May after everything shut down and I'm I'm walking Tulsa and it's fucking deserted. Nobody's out, right? And like mm. I all I have is my trash bag full of shit. I'm like, I don't fucking know where I'm gonna go, right? I don't even know where I'm gonna get a job at. Everything's shut down. But I knew a friend of mine who lived in that same sober living house that I was at. I was there once before. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go back. You know, I went back, man, and I ended up getting a job mowing grass. Like, fuck it, I'll just cut this grass. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need to be around people for that. Yeah. So I ended up working, cutting grass through the whole fucking uh, quarantine shit or the lockdown shit. I just fucking mowed yards, man. Made shit money, but, you know, and here we are two years later now, man. I'm I'm a metal roofer. It's fucking, but it's just that same mentality that I had, like, how far, how, how far are you willing to go to stay sober? You know, and then I carry that shit with me everywhere. Only now, like, I give it back. Uh... We're, I've started a nonprofit. I'm still waiting for our tax tax papers to come back from Oklahoma City, but I've started a nonprofit to help people who are in a jam like that. Right? I left rehab, and I didn't know where the fuck I was gonna go. All I knew was I couldn't go home. Right? Mom told me I couldn't come back. Uh, you know, at the time I'm like fucking thirty years old. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to go back to my mom's house. <clears throat> yeah. And I had nowhere to go, and I had no money, so. This house that I moved into, they took me in on uh, just like a fucking trust system, right? And they were like, okay, we'll take you in, but you have to pay us, you know, when you get a job. And like, you got 30 days to get a job, and then you start paying us rent, paying back rent, things like that. And I was like, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And you know what I mean? I did. But knowing that that little process that was to fucking go from rehab into sober living, I was like, there's a gap right there. And the people don't see the gap unless you've been through it yourself. You know, like you leave a rehab and you can go home to everything you know, which is what a lot of people do. And that's why they relapse. They go back to the old friends. They go back to the old people. Sometimes family members in the house are using, right? They go back to that. And it's like, oh, it's just a matter of time before you fall back into that. Or you can go to a sober living house. But a lot of sober living houses, they require a deposit, right? And it's non-refundable. And you don't want to hear that non-refundable shit when you're first getting out, you know? Mm-hmm. So me and a couple of friends of mine who were in recovery was like, you know what? Why don't we start raising money for that, you know? I got with the caseworkers over at 12 and 12, and they told me, they were like, well, we'll let you know whenever we have someone completing, right? And, and you know, and that, if you want to come help them, you can. So they did. They started calling me. And the idea of uh, pushing for purpose just kind of fucking came out of that. It was like, okay, look. You complete rehab, I will pay for your sober living house. I will pay that initial deposit, you know, and it all it does is give you a chance. I'm not going to pay your fucking rent, but I will pay your deposit. It'll give you a bed to sleep in, and then you'll have 30 days to find a job and get your life going again. You know, it's just that that I'm just here to try to help, but I'm not going to fucking do everything for you, mm-hmm. right? And I did. we did it. We did it all, like, a few for four or five months last year, raising money, helping people out. But there's a tax thing to it, right? It's not a legitimate nonprofit unless you file for a 501c3. It's just me selling stuff and doing what I want with the money. So me and a friend of mine, I was like, all right, well, what do we got to do to get the 501c3 to be a state-recognized nonprofit? And my church that I go to, they were like, well, this is what you got to do. Here's the paperwork, da-da-da-da-da. We can help you file you know, with an attorney, and it's going to be this much, and I was like, fuck, they threw that number at me, I was like, 
I don't have that, you know? And they were like, well, we'll, we'll just work towards it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I got blessed to have a friend who was like, oh, no, I can do all the filing for you. If you just pay the, the, the fees and everything to file it, you know, which I think was like 800 bucks uh, as opposed to the uh, like 3,500 that I was going to spend to have a lawyer help me file for it. Mm-hmm. And that was like all the money we had in the account. I had like a thousand dollars in the uh, in the account that we had going to that, and I got blessed with a friend who was like, "I can help you." I was like, "Okay, well, you do the filing, I'll give you the money," and we finally did all that. And uh, now it's just a matter of waiting. I think like sixty to ninety days to get our our tax number, tax ID number. Mm-hmm. So when people do donate money, donate whatever, I can say, "Yo, here's your tax." You know, like if I can get businesses to uh, start donating, I can give them this tax number, and at the end of the year, they can actually do a legitimate tax write-off on it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just them redistributing money. You know, at least it goes towards them in the end of the year somehow. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how all that works. I have someone who does that that part of the thing for me because, bro, I sold dope my whole life. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I sold dope. I I, I, uh, I did stupid shit. So when it comes to taxes and stuff, it's like, fuck, I don't even know how to do none of this. Yeah. But, you know, my higher powers done put people in place for me. And it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to use you for this because... I'm not going to try to relearn this and I'm just going to get aggravated and want to fucking quit if I do try, you know, but it came to like what you were saying earlier, man, a lot of it is networking, networking, you know, and the podcast, the idea I was just shooting at you before we started recording, it's kind of the same incentive to people. You know, if you complete rehab, you, you go six months, you go a year outside of rehab, whether it's sober living or not, you know, anybody we help, I'll give you a place to tell your story. You know, and people want to do that, especially in recovery. You know, addicts and alcoholics, we love talking about ourselves, bro. You know, we can do it for days. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's tell your story. And you might, re- but at the same time, it's not just because we want to tell a story, but a lot of us, like me, I, I really want to help somebody else. You know, I want to help uh, alcoholics and addicts, or that's my sweet spot, bro. That's That's the soft spot in my heart. You know, I see, you know, I got people and I'm riding down the street. And they see these homeless people, and the first thing out of their mouth is, you know, oh, they're probably drug addicts, or they're going to use my money for this, or they're going to use my money for that, you know? And it's just like, you're you're not wrong, but you're not fucking right either. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And because uh, when I see people like that, and it's like, yo, it doesn't at this point, it doesn't matter what the fuck they're going to use that money for. You know, it's five bucks that I'm probably going to spend on something useless anyways. You know, it does something for my heart when I help them. Now, what they do with that... It's none of my business, you know, but now I'm getting to a point where people actually are reaching out to me, addicts and alcoholics. They see the music, they see they see the music videos, they see the stage performances, right? But behind all that, I'm somebody who's trying to help and show hope to another needle junkie, to another alcoholic, to another drug addict, you know, especially, especially my native brothers and sisters, man. You already know how that drink is to some of them, mm-hmm. you know, on the reservation I'm from. I've seen, I've seen my my older brothers got ran over for a bottle that he had in his bag. These brothers, these native brothers wanted. They ran him over. You know, they hit him with a car just to go through his bag and take his liquor. You know, I've seen what, I've seen what alcohol has done to my people out on the reservation. You know, um, and it's 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 fucked up. You know, but at the same time, I get it. You know, a lot of native brothers have a lot of sorrows they they carry from our ancestors on down. We have a lot of sorrows, a lot of regrets. And you, we just pass it on to the next one, right? But I believe 
if somebody stands up and says, you know what, it doesn't have to be like this, you know, it it, and it could help and it could change. I have a, a, a middle child, he's 10, and I tell him all the time, I'm like, son, you can be the first Thompson, right, to, to, to walk, you could be the first Thompson in your bloodline to walk this world and not drink and not smoke, you know, and he's 10. I've been telling him that since for two years now, since he was eight. And, you know, every once in a while today, he was like, Dad, I'm going to I'm gonna not drink when I get older. I'm going to, you know, I just put that idea on him, you know, and I put it in his heart, you know, because he's seen what I've went through. My oldest son, my 14-year-old, he watched the, the, the drugs and alcohol destroy me and their mother's relationship, you know, and almost destroyed us both. You know, she ended up, she has her own story, but, you know, I mean, it, it, it fucked both of us up for a long time and my kids got caught in the middle, you know, so now it's like, I'm trying to put my life back together with them and, uh, you know, show them that it doesn't have to be like that, mm -hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, they're still going to make the decision they make when they get older. I want to prepare them for something different, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's, that's the number one way that I give back, you know, not only to my people, bro, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like for my soul, I feel, you know, I did some pretty shady shit when I was shooting dope. A lot of that shit I still carry, right? But when I help somebody, it's not like I'm redeemed from what I did. It's not to pay back for what I did, but it's just to, to help me install this fucking idea. Like, you know what? I'm not who I used to be, you know? And doing that one step at a time, I've got to meet some cool fucking people this last year. You mm -hmm. know, my brother's hard target and breadwind down in uh, Florida with Trailer Made Records, who I work with a lot. You know, they help put my music out. Um, it's a big buzz. You know, he's uh, he's another dude. He, he's in, like, struggle and jelly roll and that kind of genre. Um, you know, man, I've got to meet a lot. I got to meet you, got to meet Castro. You know, these are people that that if I was drinking, like, if I was fucked up at the show like, the other night, you guys did it at the live set, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have went well, yeah. you know. I, I'm one of those dudes, right? But because I I don't I don't drink, like, I, I don't drink at all, but, you know, I don't act the way I used to, uh, I have the respect of my peers, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not just tolerated anymore. You know, that shit feels kind of good. My bad. I kind of hijacked no. your whole No, you're good. <laughs> well, like going back to that show when we got there, because I know like you're sober and everything. And I was like, want to ask, like, how did you not give in to the, well, nobody said, hey, Frank, have a drink. Yeah. Or let me buy you a drink. I'm sure nobody said that to you, but even, or, even though, you know, you're like, used to drink and you were addicted i guess and then and it's just like it would be hard to walk into that setting and see all the refreshments mm -hmm. and then it's like no you know and you you did like you you walk around with a water cup and water, water cup and a red bull yeah water <laughs> cup and a red bull one thing i never do right i never condemn another person for drinking you know and people are like man can we drink in front of you like bro go ahead you you, know, you don't have to ask my permission you mm -hmm. know uh getting sober and, and 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 not drinking that worked for me right and just because and this is and i love my people in recovery but you know this is like yo you got to get this bro not everybody has the same problem that we have right like for me when i drink i don't know how to stop mm -hmm. you know and what stops me from drinking today is so when I told you I got out of re uh, got out of jail and there was one day that I was out before I went to rehab, you know, I ended up staying in this hotel room right up the street uh, that has a bar in it. Um, fuck, right there off of a uh, uh, 51 on Aspen, 
there's like a uh there's a fucking there's a waffle house there's a quick trip in that hotel over there next to the quick trip there's like a fucking anyways mm-hmm. um i stayed over in that hotel because i got out too late and i couldn't get to rehab right they took forever to process me out of jail so i ended up my mom got me a room in that hotel and she was like i'll be here in the morning to pick you up and take you over here to the rehab i was like okay and she was like don't fucking go nowhere Right. And I was like, I'm not going to go nowhere. Right. And I had, uh, I had like 80 bucks on me when I got out of jail. So I was like, you know what? I'll just go up here to this bar and, uh, I'll just have a beer. Right. I go in there and of course I didn't have a beer. I had a Jack and Coke and then I had a beer with it and I'm sitting there fucking drinking. I'm just getting out like 30 days out of jail. This girl hits me up on Facebook and she's trying to come through and hang out. And, uh, I was like, yeah, come on and I'll buy you a drink, you know? And so we're hanging out and I bought her a drink. Um, but it took me two drinks and a couple of beers, and I had this good buzz going on. And she said, dope. And I was like, can you get some? <laughs> you know, she was like, yeah. And I was like, can you get a rig? And she was like, yeah. I said, go do that, you know, and then come back. And, uh, you know, <laughs> grace God, she never came back. Mm-hmm. You know, she just fucking took off. She's like, I'll be back. And then she's like, oh, this happened. And I was like, whatever, you ain't fucking coming back. But, you know, it took me two drinks and a couple of beers to get to the point where I wanted to go shoot some dope. And I ended up going to, like I said, I went to rehab, but as I look back on it now, I look at that and I'm like, those aren't waters that I want to play with, you know? And that's what, that's why I don't drink is because I know at some point it drinking's not going to be enough for me. Right. So that's why I don't drink, but I don't, I don't never fucking, you know, I don't never condemn people or fucking try to turn my nose up at them. Right. And it's just like, man, that's that I've never been that way. I hate people who are that way. You know, I got, I, I know Christians who are that way and it, 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 it fucking does something to me. It just makes me feel sour towards people when they do that. Right. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the person, I never do that. Right. That's why I go to a bar and I've been sober a couple of years now and I've only been doing shows this past year. Right. It took me a year working a program of recovery, working with a sponsor, you know, having accountability, having people to hold me accountable. I usually got a homegirl. I think you met her um, the other night at the uh, the other show, right? I have a homegirl I keep with me that she's my accountability when I'm at, you know, when I'm performing or I'm at a bar and I'm doing a show. She's there with me, right? And that's my visual accountability. She's there to hold me accountable to not drinking, mm-hmm. right? But I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I don't take somebody with me, Um but like when I'm going out to like the, the thing you guys did, I was honestly, I was so looking forward to you and Toke signals. There was nothing else on my mind, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I can go out and actually have fun. And, and like, if I go somewhere, it's for a reason. When I went to Florida, I did a show, but I also got to watch dirty, a uh, dude named dirty from Pennsylvania. He came down and he did a set. My brother's hard target and breadwin did a set. Uh, this dude named Florida Dolph did a set. Um, a bunch of guys that I listened to that I like, I got to enjoy their show, right? And not get fucked up halfway through it, right? So, but, and like, they're all uh, country hip hop, you know, the Southern rap, uh, country hip hop kind of thing. But um, I enjoy, and they all drink, right? You know, but it's the same thing down there. Like, they have a level of respect for me because they know that I'm sober. But it's like, they don't tone down who they are mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm around, you know, and, and that right there to me is I appreciate that more than somebody intentionally not drinking because I don't drink, you know, that shit kind of rubs me the wrong way too. You know, it's like, well, I'm not a fucking child, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but I've learned how to control myself. And if it gets to a point where I start getting a little off balance, you know, mentally, or I start, you know, I, I just leave, 
I don't make excuses. I'll just go. Right. And mm-hmm. that's a lot of times after I leave, after I do a set, after I'm there done doing my set and I watch and I'll hang out for a minute, but I don't never stay to the end of the night because I'm going to get bored. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't matter if the music is awesome or not. I'm going to get bored and I don't want to be bored in a bar. Yeah. That's the last place I want to be bored at. Yeah. Right. So I know when to cut myself out, you know, but it's taken me a couple of years to get there. And the fact that I know how to do it now, it makes life a little bit more enjoyable, right? And then plus the rehab thing, man, that, 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 the, the rehab sucked. But one thing they helped me do was build structure in my life, mm-hmm. right? Getting up at four o'clock in the morning every day, you know, regardless if it's the weekend, a work day, and especially on work days, I get up two hours before I have to even be out the door to head to work. So that way when I get to work, I got two and a half hours of being up, a couple coffees in me, you know, I'll read my books or whatever I got to do for the day. And then I'm mentally prepared for work. You know, I've carried that structure in my life. So by nine, eight or nine o'clock, bro, some days I'm, I'm asleep by eight. Yeah. Bro, if I could go to sleep by fucking seven and not feel like a lazy piece of shit, I would, you know? Uh, but when I got my kids, of course I can't. Um, but you know, for the most part, like I have a structure in my life and when I stay out later, it's a treat to me because I, I'm doing a show or I'm doing something, right? And but it's not, it's not something that I treat myself with every fucking week, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, that's a weird way to put it, but like for me, I don't like since I've been working out and shit, right? Only every once in a while do I splurge on a fucking on a cheeseburger or something like that, right? Because then I get to enjoy it a little more. Yeah, mm-hmm. I treat the same way with going out and doing shows. You know, like I don't do them all the time. But when I do go out and do them, I get to enjoy them, right? Yeah. And uh, that treating myself to something like that is, is fucking priceless, right? And I can't put, I can't put a dollar amount on that, and I can't put a drink on that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that's kind of what holds me accountable. That and the message that I carry, you know, to stand on a stage and say, "Look, I'm two years fucking sober. You know, it's possible. If you need help, I will help you. You know, and I can't say that message on stage." And then go off over here and start drinking and stuff. So my message yeah. that I carry holds me accountable too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's that's great though. Like you've like you've practiced it. You've been practicing and you're still practicing how to cope with all that. And I for like I've never been to the shrine. Like I've never been there. <clears throat> and I didn't know they had a bar in there. And but I didn't even I didn't even think like you know, I knew you were going to be there, but I didn't think like, because I seen you have self-control already and mm-hmm. everybody respects like your decision and nobody like, I'll buy you a drink, whatever, you yeah. know? And so wasn't worried about it, you know, like you going back to drinking or whatever. Yeah. Cause now like I know who you are or whatever. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I, I was there and I was like, I almost got a drink. To like calm my nerves because I was like fucking nervous as fuck. Yeah. I was like, no, like I don't need it. You know, like I do this shit all the time. Like, yeah. You're just hanging out with friends and people are there. And yeah, now the only thing is like everybody's watching you. Yeah. You know, but I mean, at the same time, like that's what, uh, when I talked to, uh, uh, oh, fuck, what's his name? The tall guy, the tall one, Josh. Yeah. 
I was like, man, you guys killed it. And he was like, man, he was like, just, he was like, this is just what we do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's, that's what I want to hear, man. Because, <laughs> like, I enjoy the shit out of this podcast, out of their podcast. They talk about some fucking off-the-wall stuff over there, man. Yeah. Like, I, I remember the first one that I watched. Uh, it was, oh, fuck, I can't remember the name of it. But I was watching it. I was watching I was at work, and I was listening to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to it with my older brother. And he was like, what are we listening to? And I was like, because he had heard the... Uh, the one where it was you and them and Skoden, I think mm-hmm. here. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I was laughing. Me and my brother were laughing the whole time, you know, and because uh, we got the bingo thing that they were talking about, and you know the raffle tickets, and it's like you know like the ending things. Like okay, <laughs> so we start listening to their podcast uh, while we're working on these gutters, and they got off on some alien, yeah, uh, abduction, fucking crazy shit. <laughs> And we're outside of a welding shop. We're working on a welding shop, and I have it playing on my fucking clip-on uh, JBL. Mm-hmm. On the clips onto my tool bag, and then we we just have music and we're listening to. It. And all these people inside this welding shop kept looking <laughs> at us, man. And my brother was like, "Maybe we should change it." And I was like, "Nah, fuck it. <laughs> it's already weird. Let's just let it be weird and be out there." <laughs> I fucking love it though, man. It was fresh. You guys killed it at the show. Yeah, it was good, man. Like, <clears throat> like I was saying, like I didn't need that drink, yeah. so I didn't fucking buy one. I just got a water. But that goes back to like the whole control thing. Yeah, like it's mainly up to you, you know, and how you want to cope with these things. Like, like I was hella nervous, right? Yeah, I could have got a drink. I could have got a shot. And then it would have learned it would it would have man it would have went to like two drinks or two shots and more to get myself a little buzz so I can go up there. Yeah, but I was like, no, I don't need that. And I think that's why I forgot my wallet because <laughs> I forgot my wallet. Like I legit forgot my wallet. I never forget it. And and she bought me a Red Bull, and I almost said like buy me a drink, but I was like, no, like I don't need. It. I needed to start. If this is like a regular thing, I need to start doing more of these things. Like, I mean, like I haven't done a lot of them. Like even at Circle Cinema when I was doing um, the Q&A for Mark Williams, they had a bar there and I was like, I probably need a drink, you know, to calm my nerves because that's people watching you too. But I was like, man, fuck that. Yeah. I'm just good to soda. So I got a soda and watched this movie and we went up stage and just started going and then but it was like, you know, I did that before. And then at the shrine, I was like, no, if this is going to be a thing, then I, I can't like, <laughs> I can't be all buzzed up. Yeah. I can't, I can't do that. Like, I don't, I don't need it. Like I need to learn how to do this stuff on my own, in my own mind yeah. frame, you know? And it's just, it is like, it's just us talking. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just another episode. Yeah. Like, you know, we do this all the time and it's just. Hanging out with friends and yeah. making people laugh or whatever. You Dude, know? And, it was awesome, man. I had a good time. I, I really did. I had a great time with that. Who was the, uh, who was the really, <coughs> or, well, actually, I'm going to, this, uh, Nez, the guy with Mac, the podcast. Yeah, Kevin Nez. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's Navajo, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. thought so. I seen him. He, he sent me something on uh, IG and I seen it and it's. I was like, Nez. And it, dude, I don't know. I haven't been home in so long that that name just kind of floated right over my head. Mm-hmm. Right? And and then whatever I seen is IG and it said Dene. And I was like, oh, damn. I should have, like, talked to him, talked to him. I didn't, you know, I just, I was kind of just in and out. But, 
I was there. Like I seen you guys' things, and I mean, some of the comedians, like the jokes were all right, but I wasn't like like it was. It'd have been hard to follow you guys at all. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> comedian or not. Like it'd have been hard to follow what you guys did, and uh, you know, so mad respect to them for, for following you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but like after that, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I gotta go. You know, it was getting late, so I didn't mm-hmm. actually get a chance to talk to him. But I seen he was a Navajo. But I talked to the what's that big the tall dude. Oh Daniel, yeah, the tall dude, mm-hmm. basketball. You know what I'm saying, like basketball NBA NBA tall. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Remember he said something about uh well he was a he was talking about movies, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he does a lot of stuff. Um I think right now he works for Creek Nation and they're like damn, I forgot what, which department it is. It's on Facebook, but he does their graphics and their media and stuff. Yeah, <clears> like videos. That's yeah, what he was saying. He videos. did videos. Yeah, he does that for Creek Nation, but but yeah, he's been in like there's this movie called Golly What a Day, I think. And it was made, I think, last year. Or maybe a couple years ago, and it came out last year, I think. Did you see that uh, that casting call they're doing for the Stallone thing? Yeah, I just seen that I seen yesterday. It, I seen it on the news. Yeah. Uh, some uh, Somebody sent me a, a post about it, or a thing, saying Channel 6 was looking. He's going to be a mafia, a mafia prisoner or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like... Sebastian Stallone's coming to Tulsa. Yeah, I guess that because we were talking, you guys were talking about they're doing a lot of movies around here right now. Yeah, they seems like they've been doing a lot of stuff here. You and know, then Corona slowed it down, but yeah, starting to pick back up again. Man, that was something I remember. We kind of had a brief conversation about it. It's like, man, that's something I kind of want to want to check out just to be on a film set. You know, to see how it works because I love movies. Yeah, you know, uh, but just just to see just to see what it looks like. I want to do it, but it's like it's like weird dates. It's like. The one I wanted to do is like on Friday, but you know I work, yeah. so it's like I was telling somebody this. I was like, so when I worked at a casino, I worked every weekend, and then that's when like movies are being made. You need to be there on the weekends. Now I finally get weekends off, and you need to be there on the fucking weekdays. <laughs> and I, I was telling Kevin that I was like, so I think I'm just not meant to fucking do this shit like acting or whatever because yeah. Because now it's like, it's just Monday through Friday. And I'm like, fuck, man, I work Monday through Friday now. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm off on the weekends. And so, and that's what that <clears throat> Stallone, one, Stallone one is. It's like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the one I want to do is Friday. And it's like, what is it? I think it's like hotel patrons or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I was like, fuck. I was like, nah. Uh, if I meet him, I meet him. Yeah. <laughs> Probably see him at the mall or something. <laughs> I know, man. I just, man, I'm so, it's with something you said oh, when we, like a while, just a minute ago, uh, you're talking about taking time and investing into your, like, this is what you wanted to do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And dude, I've been wrestling with that fucking thought. Like, I, I'm a roofer, and, but I have the, the, there's a whole bunch of dudes in the genre that, that I know, right, in the country hip hop genre, right? Dudes like Hard Target, uh, Breadwin. Uh, dirty, simple man, you know, like some of these dudes are, are v- vicious, right? They're just vicious mm-hmm. when it comes to that, what they do. And I have the the pleasure of actually knowing them and like they help me 
like Target's helped me produce a couple of my songs, right? Brad Windeville has helped shot some of my videos. He shot my Stranded video. There's another video called Different Days, which we shot. It hasn't been released yet. And that one actually has features my homeboy Hard Target, right? Mm -hmm. And these are dudes who do this for a living. And it's just like, I have this thought. And it's like, man, I'm getting, I'm ga like I was telling you earlier, I'm gathering all the equipment to do it, right? But then it also becomes the time. Yeah. Because I work you know, sun up to sun down sometimes, right? And then when I get off of work, I go to the gym and I get something to eat, you know? And then, like I said, I get up early in the morning, so I'm in bed by like eight or nine, and it's just like finding the time to invest into to what I want to do. But now it's getting to the point, it's like it's on my heart way more, mm -hmm. you know? Like how it, I go to work, and don't get me wrong, my boss is awesome as hell, right? He took a chance on me. He took me out of cutting grass and taught me how to, lay metal roofs and do gutters and things like that, right? He taught me a trade, helped me get a car. Um, but at some point, it's like, how long am I going to keep investing into another man's dream, right? Because he has his company getting off the ground, and we have more work. When it, when we started, it was me and him, but now we have a crew of, like, uh, I think, like, seven or eight people, mm -hmm. right? And and my boss is uh, – so his, his company's getting off the ground, and it's just like, I, there's potential for me to go here, Pennsylvania. Uh, there's a guy up there. His name's Dirty. Uh, we we're gonna do a track together. Um, dudes in Georgia, you know, and then there's I just met that dude over at the show. It's from Texas, you know, uh, Air Max, and uh, we're talking about doing shows there. There's another co a duo that just booked me for Kansas, Pittsburgh, Wichita, and then here in Tulsa, and then Fayetteville, right? It's like four days, uh, and that's at the end of April, right? And that's traveling, right? But it's just like, man, I their doors are opening. And I just want to take that step, you know, just to say, look, let me take like six or seven months just to invest into this, you know, a year. Give me a year just to try to put it towards what I want to do, you know, put it towards my dream. Not only the music, but getting the uh, the nonprofit up and consistent, mm -hmm. right? Get, getting We have our taxes coming in, our tax exempt number, but taking the time to invest into that, you know, into a non, this nonprofit and into the music, right? Like that's that's my or keep working this job you know and that's like this internal battle that i've been having with myself lately and i'm just thinking about saying fuck it and just going for it you know but it's i guess it's fear of not not making it but just fear of of landing in a bad spot mm -hmm. you know because like i have the house and i have the kids and things like that man yeah it's scary it's scary to put yourself in the because that's uncomfortable you know, like that's that's just uh, not knowing, but like you don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Like then you start thinking, like, like I could do that. I could make my own business. I could create something. I could create a band, a brand. I could get this off the ground. But yeah. it takes a lot of fucking work and time. That's consistency. What consistency. Yeah. And, and you have to learn how to do it. You have to like. I know how to do all this shit, like networking and stuff, like. I mean, like, talking to people, like, that was cool, but I mean, like, actually, like, networking and getting to know them and what they do and what I could pick up and just different knowledge and shit. I just did all, I would have done all this for nothing had I not do it, had I not went ahead and did it, yeah. pulled the trigger and do it, you know? Yeah, because now you got, like, it's like almost every other, every other, every week I see you got someone else coming on, someone yeah. else coming on, someone, you know, and there's actors and, and all kinds of people you got coming in. Yeah. Right? But if I can meet somebody mm -hmm. like this... Right, like it, it's 
this is more valuable, mm-hmm. right? Because you know what? You might have someone come on or, or you know, I might know somebody or something. Somewhere down the road is going to come up. And the first thing I'm going to think of is like, Russ, you mm-hmm. know? Or, or vice versa. You're like, oh, you should check out Frank. Yeah. The network. That's how I met those dudes in Florida. There's someone seen my show and they're like, hey, I know so-and-so. You ought to meet them. When they come into town, I'm going to introduce you, right? And I mm-hmm. was like, cool. Five months go by and they were like, he calls me. He was like, hey, man, remember I told you I had some friends? I was like, yeah. And he was like, they're doing a show in Arkansas. You want to pick them up from the airport and go to Arkansas and play? I was like, yeah. Right. You know, I mean, and that was from five months before. It was just him seeing my show one time, mm-hmm. you know, respecting who I was being sober. And that's that's a, lo- a lot of people tell me that, you know, the dudes I meet in the music industry, they're like, we respect that because you're not bending, you're not swaying, you're not doing this. You know, like I remember when I did that show, I actually found an AA meeting in I was in uh, Mountain Home, Arkansas. I Googled AA meetings like these dudes are all drinking. I need to go to a meeting. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> I Googled AA meetings and I found one and, you know, I'll walk if I have to, you know, but I just met a lady who was like, I'll take you. It's like, okay, cool. You know, my pride wasn't too high to ask because my want to drink at that point was so high. And it was just like, that was six months sober. And I didn't do another show for a year after that because I was in a place for two days and I didn't drink, but the want to drink was so there. Right. And I was like, this is unsafe. You know, and even though I love making music and I love performing, this is not good for me. So I paused it for like a year. But I met some guys. I met Target and them. And they were like, come down to Florida. You know, and then I told them I was sober. So when I flew to Florida the first time, I stayed in Hard Target's house. And these dudes are so fucking cool. I was down there for a week. And they were just like, yo, we're going to work strictly, work on music. You know, and they didn't drink. They didn't do nothing. You know, the whole time I was there. Now, every time I went there after that, they're like, fuck you, Frank. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're cool like that. They're like, fuck you, Frank. We're having a drink, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yes, whatever. Uh, but that first week, they respected it so much that I was there strictly to make music and try to get better mm-hmm. uh, that they respected my sobriety. And now, to this day, like, that right there, you can't put a price on that. Yeah. You know? They could have easily been like, okay, well, we charge like this, this, that, and this. But they were just like, yo, if you make your way out here, We'll help you, you know. Mm-hmm. I paid for the flight, went down there. They let me stay in their house, you know. I mean, it was like that right there. You start trying to throw dollars on that, you're going to lose people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and you know, keep going because yeah. you know what? Someone one day is going to come on here, you know, and then they're going to leave here and their life's going to bam take off. That's what I was just telling Castro the other day, you know, because he was talking about the rap battles. He was like, I'm behind the scenes. I'm like, bro, you're cultivating. You're cultivating things to give other people a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, this podcast isn't just for you. It's for the, the guests you bring on, for the people who listen. You know, uh, it, you're cultivating something to spread to other people. There is nothing selfish about what you do. And you keep doing that. And in the long run, someone's going to be like, I need to go back and bless my brother Russ. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? For giving me an opportunity and didn't charge me and wasn't a dick to me and didn't make me jump through hoops to come onto his podcast, you know? And I told Casher the same thing. Like, bro, someone's going to love and bless you down the road when, they, when they're worth their salt of the earth. You know what I'm saying? They're going to turn around and say, you know what? Castro put me on this battle. You know, Castro did this. Castro gave me an opportunity. Yeah. Opportunities are worth way more than dollars. But going back to your show, uh, you had a bunch of energy. 
That was my first time watching you. And then Castro had a shit ton of energy too. Castro killed it. Castro and JDB kill it every time. JDB was good. Dude, like, everybody dude. was good, yeah. but like, but I'm just like, just to like see you there, like meeting them was great, you know, and seeing them perform was great too. But like the people I have a relationship with, you know, I have a relationship with them now. But you guys, like you and Castro, it was like, like goddamn, like you worked the crowd, like it was just like non-stop you like you <laughs> you were rapping fast as fuck too yeah. <laughs> and i was like i was just sitting there i was like damn i was like these guys are fucking they're tearing this place up you know it's crazy man is i do all that uh so i mean there there are artists out there and and i say this all the time man rapping fast it's it's more than just you know like can you enunciate can you you know and then are you doing it over your track or are you doing you know and like so i i do everything over my instrumentals i'll have I'll have my backups on there uh, to where when I'm coming to the end of a run, I won't say that last word. I'll let the punch in say it mm-hmm. uh, just so I can take a breath and go right back into another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, everything you heard, you know, was, was just me and a microphone, bro. Uh, I've been doing it. So when I first started making music, like, I didn't I didn't have equipment, right? I had YouTube and I had a cell phone. So I would just record myself. Mm-hmm. Doing these three minute long, all of it chop, right? Like that, 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 that. I can't even remember the first rhyme I did. Uh, oh man, if I'm, I'm, there's no way in hell I'm gonna remember it. Uh, anyway, so it was like I would, I would just record myself, and every time I mess up, I have to redo it. I remember the first video I ever posted on Facebook or anything. Um, it took me 37 tries, dude, and I'm sitting. I was I was I was like twenty no I was like eighteen I was over at my mom's house and I was I had her computer and I just had the cell phone and I'm just I recorded this I wrote something and I fucking just hit record and I play the beat and I take a breath and then I fucking go right into it and it would da 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 you know and I was just like fuck up like fuck shit fuck shit yeah fucking. Do it. Start it over again. Thirty-seven tries is what it fucking took me the very first time I posted anything, right? And it, but from that point forward, that's how I would. That's how I would show my music. Like what? I, that was how I would show my talent. I should say I would just record a phone and I would just start rapping. You know, over a beat, I would just start rapping. Whatever I fucking threw together, I would rap. You know, and all of it was like that Midwest fucking twist the bone tech nine kind of style because that's what I listened to growing up. Bunch, mm-hmm. bunch of twist, a bunch of tech, um, bone thugs, uh, anything that was that was double, triple. I was all about it, you know. Uh, and that's that's where that process came from. Now I've tried to slow it down because not everybody is into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it, I mean, that's cool, but it's still, it's a, it's a talent at a show. I can pull it out of my back pocket and show my ass, you yeah. know, like, yeah, I can, I can, I can write some hooks, you know, and I can, I can sing a little here, or harmonize, I should say, not sing, but, you know, drop a beat and just give me a microphone and watch me fucking just hit the gas, you know, and just take off. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool to show and it's, it's crowd captivating. Yeah. You know, that's why usually when I start a show, I'll walk to the center stage and I don't say nothing. And I just let my, my track run, right? Because I'll, I'll do all my uh, shows. I just have it on one track, right? So all the DJ has to do is push play, right? And then I just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse at home, in the car, you know, kind of put my thoughts where this is going to go and that's going to go and this is going to go. So that way when they hit play, 
they're not there's not the stop there's not the extra you know scratching and shit because when they start doing that it fucking throws me off <laughs> you know i've had djs do a horn when i'm going through a thing or stop the beat you know while i'm da 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 and then they'll just they'll stop the beat and then kick it back in and i'm just like you're fucking me up you know wow. uh so the most i'll tell the dj here just let it run mm-hmm. you know all the extra little the little fucking sounds i put them in myself i I go to my producer the guy who helps me put my tracks together Mm. i'm like you know what i want this to like fade out here i want this to stop here and i want this to come in i want this punch in and i want that and then so when you hear the live set it's already done and i just practice it that's how i do and i I just get out there and i gas it and like i said when i start out like that it captivates the crowd they're like what is that you know and then i'll hit them with uh a song I have covered in blood and it has a little bit of chopping to it but a lot of it is like this rock grunge uh you know kind of a rock song mm-hmm. and uh you know kind of gather the crowd hit them with different styles and all of it really is just to play to get them to hear this message of recovery because then I play songs like found a way you know where I'm telling people hey don't let don't let motherfuckers tell you that you ain't never gonna be nothing you know they told me I wasn't ever gonna be shit and I'm two years sober you know that little bit of hope throw that out you know because that's ultimately what i want to give people is in a bar somebody's probably in there like i was they're just there because it's either out of habit they have a friend there they have a drinking problem they just don't want you know they want to cover it up with the fact that oh we're having fun you know and you know not everybody's like that but there might be that one person you know who's like fuck another night at the bar but i'm here you know Mm-hmm. And then they hear someone like me get on saying, hey, check this out. This don't have to be your fucking life no more, you know? Uh, I get a lot of weird looks from people when I talk about recovery, when I talk about God. During the middle of a set in a bar, I get some looks, you know? Uh, but I fucking drown them out. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't for you, you know? This this might not be for anybody in here, but on several occasions when I've stood up in a bar during the middle of a set, and I told people, hey, look, God loves you. He fucks with you tough. You know what I'm saying? And if you have a drinking problem, come and talk to me at the end of this. You know, mm-hmm. and if you need help, I will help you. And on several occasions, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, look, man, I'm struggling right now. You know, fuck, let me get your number, bro. Let me take you to a meeting. You know, let me show you, you don't have to drink all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's that right there that that fucking takes the cake that takes the cake every time for me right and it allows me to drown out the looks that i get when people are like why are you talking about god in a bar or you flip it and there's christians that look at my set they look at my shirts my fuck fentanyl dealer shirts they they look at my posts and they're thinking you're not displaying the way of christ you know and i'm just like what the fuck are you talking about there was a dude and 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 this is what i i don't a lot of a lot of the criticism I get comes from inside the church. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and I love them too. Uh, but I had this guy look at me, and he was like, "Hey, brother," you know. And they always started, "Hey, brother in Christ," you know, like, "Uh, we love what you're doing, love your energy, yada yada yada." But you know, you might want to watch your language um, because you might give somebody who's new to Christianity a false idea of what it's like to be a Christian. And I was fucking, I was stunned by that, right? Like, I, I, I shouldn't say stunned. I get those messages quite a bit. I had two of them back to back, like, in a week. Mm-hmm. You know, two different people. Hey, you should watch your language as a Christ follower. Hey, you should watch your language as a Christ follower. So I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't never answer them back. A week later, I get a message from the same guy. 
And he told me, he's like, hey, man, I'm sorry if my last message offended you. I just wanted to give you truth as a fellow believer in Christ and yada, 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 yada. And I was just like, fuck it. You want to go there? Let's go there, homie. I said, check this out. Two years ago, I was sticking a needle in my arm. I was doing shit that you nor anybody else in the church would ever look at me the same. I said, but God seen me and he seen where I was at. And he didn't see what you see. You know what I'm saying? Like God seen something different. And that's why he pulled me out of some shit and helped get my life back on track. You know, and, and through the grace of God, I ignored your first message. I had to swallow some pride, but I let it go. But if you want to go there, let's go there. You know what I'm saying? You're looking at my life through the fucking window of social media. And you see my shirts that say, fuck fentanyl dealers. You hear my post. You, re you, you read my post where there's a cuss word or two. And you think, oh, I, he goes to my church. He shouldn't talk like that. Like, homie, two years ago, I would have fucking robbed you in your church parking lot. You know? Don't ever fucking judge somebody about where they're at. Mm -hmm. Right? Because although I know I have a problem with cussing, that I don't do it in church. I don't do it around, you know what I mean? Like, I, whatever, you know, I show respect, especially to elders. I don't cuss in front of elders, right? Cussing my kids all the time, though, you know? But it's like, don't judge me where I'm at because you don't know the hell that I've been through, mm -hmm. right? And I won't judge you, you know, because to me, you lived a perfect fucking Christian life your whole fucking life, you know? And that's probably not true. That's me making a passive judgment because of where you live and where you go to church at, right? And it's wrong for me to do that. So don't do it to me, you know? So, I mean, I get criticism on both sides, but I always run into one or two people. What you said helped me. What you did helped me, you know? And at that point, it's like, I fuck with you. You're my people, mm -hmm. you know? Everybody else, it's not important because you ain't going to please fucking everybody, yeah. you know? So. Yeah, you're just going to please the ones that, that dig you. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people here. On this world. That's what I keep saying too. And then people that want to do podcasts. They're like just afraid. Like well, no one no one listen to it. And I'm like somebody, somebody will listen to it. Yeah somebody will. Because you got to remember like there's so many people on this fucking earth. That will hate it for sure. But there's there's ones that will like it or love it or something. You know yeah. and yeah you can't please everybody like. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't try to please everybody. Bro, just you be start, you. Yeah, if you He's got to be you. If you start trying to please, if you start doing shit with the thought of them in mind, you're going to lose who you are. Yeah. I did, I found that out. When sure. I would write music, I, I went through a writer's block these last seven or eight months because of that same controversy in my head. Like, oh, I'm, I'm involved in my church and yet I got this over here. Da, da, da. And at some point I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to fucking think about what they're going to think about my music and I'm just going to fucking write. And I started pumping out these songs, man. I have a song uh, I'm working on right now. It's called Devil in a Bottle, right? Mm -hmm. And it's about it's about drinking, you know? Uh, and I got a lot of friends who fucking, you know, a lot of friends who still drink, you know, da, da, da. but to me, that's exactly what it is, mm -hmm. right? And if I start thinking, oh, well, you know, people are going to think this and that, they're going to think I'm calling them Satan. No, maybe not. I don't know. But you know what? There's probably somebody out there who's struggling like I struggled, that didn't think there was ever going to be another side of the bottle, right? Mm -hmm. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm looking back at it, I'm looking back at the, the, the life that I had up until now. I've spent two years of it sober, you know? And it's not rocket science. I've spent the last two years not in jail or handcuffs, right, mm -hmm. since I've been sober. So 
maybe there's something that links that all together for me. Maybe there's something with the chaos that I lived in alcohol, right? And drugs, alcohol led to drugs and, you know, all that. But since when I took that out of my life, I haven't had one case. The most I get into is a fucking argument with somebody during, you know, trying to cut me off or some shit like that, right? It's like I'm not out here fucking toting pistols and trying to chase money down. I don't have that, mm -hmm. you know? I, I got the trust of my people. You know, my fucking old lady's sitting over there at the crib right now, mm -hmm. you know? Probably taking a fucking nap. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do the podcast. She was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to walk over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, you got some new music coming out anytime soon? You know, dude, actually, I just posted a, a, a little clip yesterday. I have a song. It's called Found A Way. It's going to be dropping in the next couple of days. You can find all my music on Spotify. Just look up Frank Thompson. Uh, YouTube, same thing, Frank Anthony Thompson. Um Apple Music, but I just I, I just uploaded my song like yesterday. Mm. And it'll be out in a couple of days, but there's actually a visual. Uh, it's not a full video. Um, it's a in-studio session. We did a therapy session when I was in Florida. We shot it a while back, so my hair is only like down here. Mm -hmm. I shot it uh, almost like a year ago. Uh, we're just getting like that's how long I've been sitting on some of these songs. Wow. Um, but also, it's a, it's a matter of just time, you mm -hmm. know having the time for it and then picking the right time. You know, I was going to start dropping all kinds of songs at the end of the year, but to me, Christmas, new years and all that, you know, and then everybody's like, Oh, you know, new years and new me and yada, yada, yada. yada. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to let everybody else's voice calm down for a second. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to start punching them, you know, and then I'm gonna start punching it. It's that time. Now I'm about to start releasing stuff again. You know, Damn. I think the last thing I released was I'm good. It was the video I'm good. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what, man? It's for me it did pretty good. It did did really well. Uh yeah. and but like I said, I have these next few videos coming out. I got new songs coming out. I got shows uh coming up. So yeah, man. We're gonna try to stay busy the rest of this year. Hell yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then one more time, tell your social how to Man, Listen, you can find me on uh yeah, you can find me on uh Facebook. Just look up Frank Anthony Thompson. Um Instagram, same thing. There's a actually I have a link tree. If you find one of those, I have a link tree. It has a link to all my Apple music, Spotify, just look it up, Frank Thompson. Uh, you know. Yeah, man, that's that's about all I got. Hell yeah. Well this is fun, man. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for uh being patient, getting you here. Um, I know we've been talking about it for a while, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. you know, uh had some cancellations, so I got to get you on. And thanks for coming. Well, thanks for walking here. I know sir. that's right. <laughs> hey, man, since I'm so close, bro, I'm going to start crashing some of your podcasts. For real, I'm just going to walk over here. Bring, man, we, I went to my dad's last night, man. We had a hog fry. Oh. Fry bread and hog meat. Oh, fuck. Dude, so good. Beans, wow. yeah. <laughs> Damn. You know, start coming over here, dropping over with plates, bro. Just... <laughs> Place. I'm about to get a whole. I haven't had commodities in so long, man. I'm about to get some cheese. Are you? Yeah. Oh, my stepmom was like, "Yo, we get like two blocks of them." I was like, "Let me grab one." She was like, "Okay." Wow. They give yeah. out two now. Yeah. Hey, man. You know. So there's this thing that I do. My grandma taught me a long time ago. You take your fry bread, right? And we make Navajo fry bread, so it's like real long. Just yeah. kidding. But take it. Take some spam. Take some uh, uh, cheese. Put it in there. And then deep, you know what I'm saying, make the fry bread, but you fold it over. Bah, bah, fry it on both sides, man. You let that cheese melt in there with that spam. <sighs> Bro, it's 
it's out of this world man <laughs> i'll make something i'll bring it over yeah next time next time like, next time i'll come over i'm gonna crash your podcast like i said but i'll have fry bread let's make that navajo fry bread yes i remember yes. having that for the first time a while ago it was yep. a navajo burger yeah greatest shit i've ever had dude yeah and that fry bread was fresh it was like they made it right there and yeah yeah oh man that was fucking good but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> getting off of Friday yeah. Wonderland. Yeah, you have to come back over, do another episode, and uh, yeah, we'll try to schedule it sometime, anytime. And so go check out Frank, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, look out for new music, and hit him up on Instagram, Facebook. And then if you're not following Okie Podcast, please do that on social media at Okie Podcast, WrestleMaster49. I was on Instagram. Okie Podcast has a page on Facebook. Uh, my personal is Russell Sun Eagle on Facebook. You can add me and go check out the website, www.okiepodcast.com. And yeah, so. Yeah, real quick. If you need any more information on the deposits to get it from rehab into sober living, just hit me up on the Instagram or the Facebook, man. And I am more than willing to help anybody who completes a state funded rehab, a state recognized funded rehab. Uh, and you or, you or someone you know, who's in rehab, who needs to get into sober living and don't have the money to go right in, get a hold of me. I'll get with my people. And if they complete, if there is completion, we will do whatever we can to go above and beyond to help those trying to get and stay sober. So hell yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hit up Frank for that as well. Great thing he's doing with uh, people trying to get into rehab and everything. So let's get that going. And so till next time, everybody. Peace. Peace. But the change is here for all to see So miss me with the history Taking the past and throwing my face I'm the go-to the escape, I still catch the blame Shade throwing water shame Yet still all these years you say my name Trying to be different, she treat me no different Her mission to take my name out of position And filling it in with the douchiest kissing Belittling me right in front of my children Telling no tells that make me the villain Try to reply and you playing the victim Done, now I've come Up from under everyone's thoughts Ideas of who I am A junkie bomb, a lesser man Taking the ground because now I can stand You're feeling you got me pressed under your hand Well I hope it was nice but a broken device And no, I finally found a way